Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media One, that's American Council of the Blind, Media One, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. This is Anthony Corona. I'm your host, and usually I'm here with Byron and one of the amazing ACB hosts. I want to thank all of the hosts over the year who have helped flesh out our team and the show. But this is a pre-recorded show because I am enjoying the holiday season in the beautiful Latin Central American country, Honduras, with my partner's family. And so while I am frolicking on the beach or sipping cocktails out on the patio, I wanted to make sure that there was at least one more fresh Sunday edition for the year. Being that the next two Sundays are Christmas and New Year's, there will be no new shows, but we will be back in the new year with a bunch of great shows. So I want to wish a very happy holiday season to all the listeners. And if you're new and just finding Sunday Edition, I'm so glad that you're joining the audience. If you have any questions or comments or show topics and ideas or just want to say how great and fabulous we all are, please don't hesitate to reach out to the show at Sunday Edition AC. All one word, S-U-N-D-A-Y-E-D-I-T-I-O-N-A-C at gmail.com. That's Sunday Edition AC at gmail.com. And look every week for our topics in the daily and weekly ACB community call list. If you'd like to join that list, send an email to community at acb.org and let them know that you'd like to receive the listing of calls presented each week. Anyway, in today's presentation, we're going to hear two very specific and special conversations, one introducing or reintroducing Meggie Eggie and America's Test Kitchen Kids Mystery Recipe Podcast. We're going to talk about diversity and uh, representation within the media and specifically in mystery recipe. And in the second half of the show, we are going to be talking to the guys from Unmute Presents, Marty Sobel and Michael Babcock. You'll also hear a very special promo for A Christmas Carol, which is a gift to the American Council of the Blind from Sunday Edition in association with Shane Salk Productions. So buckle up and enjoy the show. And I'll be back live with you on January 8th. All right. So I am so pleased to welcome back to Sunday edition, Nefertiti Matos Oliveras. And she is bringing with her a very special friend, but I'm going to let her introduce and tell us a little bit about Meggie Eggie and America's Test Kitchen Kids um, and introduce our friend. Well, hello. It's awesome to be back on the show. I was here, what, like, a couple of weeks ago for the gala. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I hope you folks out there aren't getting sick of hearing me, but this, this is a bit different. Um, you might know me from my audio description work, which I absolutely love. If anybody knows me, you know that that's where my passion lies. But I'm also a bit of a voice actor. And I had the real bona fide privilege to voice a character who, as soon as I read the, the sides, you know, the, the audition text, I fell in love. And I don't know if our special guest here knows this, but as soon as I read the audition for Maggie Eggie, I was, I like, I recorded it in a few minutes. I sent it in and then I proceeded to be so excited as to not really sleep well that night. That's how much I wanted to voice this character. She is so <laughs> lovely and bubbly and smart and funny and kind of cheeky. And uh, yeah, uh, the person behind this character who, who constructed this character so beautifully is Chad Chennai. And he is here with us. He is the writer, the producer, the audio. I mean, the motivation, I feel like, behind America's Test Kitchen Kids, the Mystery Recipe podcast. And I'll turn it over to him to tell us a bit more about the podcast. Hi, Chad. Hi, how are you? Welcome. Thank you (laughs) for such a glowing introduction. And thank you for having me on the show. I'm so excited to talk about Maggie. Um, one of my favorite characters to talk about on our show. Yeah, so so like um, Nefertiti introduced, we're a children's podcast. Um, the podcast is called Mystery Recipe. And so we talk about the intersection between fun and food. Um, every week we talk about a different theme ingredient. And all of those theme ingredients build towards a grand finale mystery recipe cook-along. So all season our listeners are guessing based on what the theme ingredients are, what we're going to be cooking together. Um, And this season on the show, season six, which the uh, finale just aired, so you can go binge listen to the whole thing. And we featured a character called Maggie Eggie, who Nefertiti brought to life so amazingly well. And it was just absolutely a joy to meet her and to work um, with her on Maggie and bring Maggie to our listeners. So I want to take a couple of steps back, if you don't mind. Um, Yes, this is season six, and I listened to most of the Meggie Eggie episodes in preparation for um, our conversation. But let's go all the way back to the beginning. How did the podcast come to be? Because it is an absolutely adorable idea. And from what I see online, it is really popular. Well, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. Um, it's it's absolutely a joy to work on. So this is uh, a product of America's Test Kitchen Kids. And so a lot of people might be familiar with America's Test Kitchen um, as a brand for adults. And so they uh, do the Cook's Illustrated magazine, Cook's Country uh, TV show, and America's Test Kitchen TV show, which is on PBS. Um, and they actually are just coming out with a new reality show called America's Test Kitchen Next Generation. Um, which airs on Freevee, which is the old IMTV channel. And so you can check out all of those. Um, but in addition to all those great products for adults, they have a kid's brand. And we focus on um, just inspiring young chefs in the kitchen, encouraging them to be uh, excited experimenters and to try new things, play with flavor. Um, and they, as a brand, wanted to move into audio, wanted to start a podcast. Um, I had been doing an internship for a different kid's podcast. I had started my own kids podcast with a friend as well. 
Um, and so I was connected with them when they were looking for a writer and a producer and was just very lucky to fall into something that really felt right and something that I love doing and, and working um, with everyone at the company, specifically Molly Birnbaum, who was our host. Um, we have just been able to have fun and make sort of kooky, crazy, um, exciting food content for the last three or four years now. Yeah. And Molly's got a really, really great energy. Um, you know, that is exactly what you want to kind of, you know, hold it all together for kids, that kind of vibrancy and, and um, personality. Yeah. And we got very lucky to work with an actress named Kira O'Sullivan as Mitzi. Uh, Mitzi is our co-host. She is an oven mitt. Um, and so she's Molly's right-hand gal, which is the pun that we always say at the top of the show. Uh, but being able to sort of play with Molly, who is absolutely a food expert, you know, definitely a leader in her field, um, and pair her with this just silly, fun, fictional character um, has made the show just like a really fun, weird experiment to write every week. Yeah. Yes. And I got to say, as Benki Eggy, Mitzi is my favorite character. She is so... <laughs> adorable and that accent of hers and she's so funny and it's just geeky yeah yes she really <laughs> she and molly have a really wonderful and chad and andrea who's another character but a real person on the podcast too i just working with these folks i just feel like wow what a nice what a nice like family fun interesting and really educational podcast it's really great yeah, we've gotten and, so lucky to just, you know, be with a group of really talented people who care about kids. And so that all adds up to just like a joy of a show to work on. And it's quite diverse. And, um, and there is a lot of fun personalities that represent different areas of, of our culture. So can you tell me a little bit about building these characters and the thought process behind assigning, you know, certain characteristics to certain characters representational ways? Absolutely. I think as someone who works in children's media, it's such a dream of a job. You know, I'm so fortunate in so many ways to have ended up here doing what I'm doing. Um, but it's also, you know, because I have that great fortune of being here, I take the work incredibly seriously. Um, and I think we we have a responsibility as people who get to do this work to not only just make a fun, educational kids show, but to make it the best it can be and the most impactful that it can be. Um, and so we take representation incredibly seriously. It's definitely something where, you know, we could just go make a show about food and it would be great and it would be fun. Um, but in order to to really encourage people to be good neighbors, people to be the, the most that they can be, um, it's important to us to make sure that every chef who might find our content, every young chef who, you know, gets recommended the podcast or stumbles upon it, they're able to find a character that they can relate to, someone who's like them, um, and someone you know who they can see themselves as on the show. Um, and so we we make it a point every season, whenever possible, when we're introducing new characters, to think about you know who are the the least represented voices in children's media, who who don't you really get to see in kids content often enough? Um, and then we we try and develop characters that will be able to fill those those gaps in the industry that that we might be coming across. Yeah, you know, um, Nefertiti and I and and Thomas and in our last conversation and in various other conversations over the last few years have spoken about hearing actresses, actors, um, people that we advocate with 
you know, one of the most through line things that, that we hear is I didn't see or hear myself in media growing up. So the, the amazing, you know, one of the um, nominations for the American Council of the Blind Audio Description Awards uh, was a Spanish language content program. And it's like, you know, when you listen to kids listening to these shows and hear the joy of certain characters coming either on screen or, or through their, you know, earbuds or however they're choosing to listen to it. And it's like, you know, that's like my mom or that's like my aunt, my Tia, or that's, you know, like my, my grouchy grandpa or whatever it be. It's amazing. And, and I almost wish I could be a kid again in this day and age. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I definitely hear you. And I, you know, I'm so grateful to Nefertiti too, to have brought so much of herself to the character. Uh, because there's no way that we could make someone who is that authentic, who really connects with as many people as uh, Maggie Eggy now is is able to do. Because Nefertiti was able to say, let's include, um, you know, this character as bilingual. Let's bring so much of, of her to it. Um, and so it it just makes it easy when you find an actress or find an actor who's um, willing to just sort of be vulnerable in that way, put themselves into it um, and, and help you make something cool and fun. Well, I want to say about that, that, you know, when I made the suggestion to Chad, oh, could we make her bilingual? Could we have her speak Spanish? He was all about it. So it also takes, you know, open, flexible, receptive people who are making the decisions to say yes and to, to, you know, value uh, those extra aspects of someone's personality. True or false, Nefertiti. Maggie is a half-cracked egg. Well, I'm going to say false. (laughs) (laughs) She is a bright yellow egg timer in the shape of an egg. She has hash marks indicative of numbers around her waist. And in her very cute photo, she wears glasses and has hands on her hips with a nice smile on her face. So, yeah, Maggie Eggie is an egg timer she loves to count and keep time and speak spanish and teach the young chefs and has a really great bubbly personality i just i really love her i think this is going to be the best character i will voice honestly i really love her let's not say that you have you have such a long career left i hope it makes the top five how about that yes Definitely Absolutely. the top five, probably number one. <laughs> but yes. So why don't we why don't we listen to a little bit of Maggie? Um, Chad and Nefertiti were so gracious enough to bring a few clips for us to enjoy. And um, if I am not mistaken, this is a clip where Maggie is sort of introduced to the audience at first. Am I right? That is correct. And just to to give a little bit of context. Um, she has introduced herself. We know her name. We know that she's bilingual. We know that she's an egg timer. Um, and then we move on to this conversation. Ah, it's going to be so fun. Es muy divertido. I think so too, Meg. I also understand you are visually impaired. Do you mind telling our listeners what that means? Well, sure. I don't mind at all. Being visually impaired means that I don't have clear eyesight or vision. It's hard for me to see. There are lots of ways that someone can be visually impaired. Molly, I've been told that you wear glasses, so you're visually impaired too then, right? That's right. For some people, 
Just wearing glasses is enough to correct their vision and allow them to see most things, which is like one end of the scale of visual impairment. The other end of that scale is someone who is totally blind and can't see anything at all. I'm legally blind, which basically means that glasses can't totally fix my vision. But really, I'm in the middle of that scale. Maybe a little closer to blind. I have a condition called Leber's congenital amaurosis, or LCA. Leber's congenital amaurosis. Oh, I should maybe write that one down. Don't worry. Knowing everything about my condition isn't totally necessary for you or for our listeners. But what would be helpful for all of you to know is a little bit about what I am and what I am not able to see. Do you mind sharing that with us, Meg? Happy to. But first, it's important to know that everyone who's visually impaired is different. What I can or cannot see may be different from someone else you know who is visually impaired or blind. There are lots of conditions and reasons why someone might have a visual impairment. There's even lots of forms of LCA. That's very good to know. Ah, oh, thank you, Meg. What else can we do to make sure you have everything you need while you're here this season? Well, there's lots of things I do differently in the kitchen and some special tools I use to make things easier, like my tablet. I use my tablet to take notes because I can make the text really big and easy to see. And I can use it to magnify recipes or writing on a page that might be too small for me to make out. But other than that, for now, I'd say don't worry about me too much. I have been visually impaired my whole life and have spent lots of time in the kitchen. If I need help, I'll ask for it. But I have my own way of doing most everything you can do. That's great to know. Thanks. I am so excited to be here this season and to get to know you all and your listeners. What do you say we get this party started? That sounds great to me. Let's jump into our first segment. It's time for Tricky Trivia. Here's how it's going to work. That is awesome. So the last voice you heard is Molly, and the one who wanted to write it down is Mitzi. Nefertiti, before we actually talk about the character herself, I have to ask, what is it like hearing it back? <laughs> um, I am probably not alone in this, but it's it's hard to hear one's own work without critiquing and without almost, uh, we played a little clip before we got started here and I just cracked up like, oh my goodness, that's me. <laughs> um, but again, I'm just so in love with this character that I'm just, she is so cute. She oh is so goodness. adorable. I, I want a Meggy Eggy, <laughs> like Beanie Baby that actually like you push it, you know, with the, the sound thing inside. Yes. And, and I want that laugh. I want that giggle. Um, yes it's gotta have the laugh for sure that's the best part (laughs) definitely so one more question before we actually talk about the character have you listened to it with any godchildren nieces nephews or friends kids have you listened to it with any kids i've listened to it with my niece we listened to episode five which is where meggie has this really cool line it's um they're doing tricky trivia and they're discussing how how um different brands call the same product different things depending on the country they're in and how in america it's cool ranch doritos but in australia say it's it's called something else because cool ranch is not or you know the ranch um flavor is not that popular or as well known in other places 
and Maggie says something like, um, I'm a cool American Dorito or something like that. And my niece just, just, she almost like fell over. I'm not quite sure why that struck her so funny, but she, I mean, it, it's a pretty cool line when you hear it in context, but that just made like my life. <laughs> That's something I said, you know, something that was almost written with me in the room kind of thing made her laugh like that. So like belly laugh. It was, it was wonderful. And yeah, she and her mom, my sister have continued to listen to it. And I think they're planning to make the recipe at some point. Nice. That feels great. So Chad, we know that, um, that Neff had to twist her arm to allow her to talk a little bit of Spanish up in the program. (laughs) (laughs) But what what was the inspiration for the character in the first place? Um, that's a good question. I mean, like we talked about before, you know, we we take the job very seriously and we want to be able to include as many people in the kitchen as possible on our show. Um, and so, you know, we're a couple seasons in, we've had a lot of characters on the show and we haven't really touched on um, sightedness uh, or disability really in any tangible way. You know, it can be tough because... Like we said, we have oven mitts and we have egg timers and, you know, we're not necessarily just a cast of people. And so, you know, having diverse characters isn't the same um, as you might, you know, have on a show where it's just human beings who are part of it. Um, but this felt like a really simple way to to do something well and do something specific um, that could be applied to kitchen utensils. What I what I love is that right out of the box, you address, you explain in very, very um, kid-friendly terminology. Um, the whole scale thing was, it was absolutely incredibly well done. Um, I don't think most of the adults that try to explain low vision slash blindness get it as succinctly as that they should, um, they should take that clip and carry it, you know, put it on their (laughs) phone and carry it around. Um, so once, once you heard Nefertiti's, um, audition, did you instantly know she's the one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the laugh was one of the first things that happened in that audition. And that was really the thing to me that sealed the deal. Uh, But there's no question after her submission that she was going to be Maggie Eggie. Were there, you know, were there any, I absolutely have to have this in a script at some point to play this character for you? Um, Yeah, as soon as the opportunity was floated over to me, I just knew, I knew that, I wanted this so bad. Like I said, I literally lost sleep that night because I was so excited. And I was like, oh my goodness, I need this part. This is me. This is me. Like I, I have to have this part. And thank goodness it worked out because uh, I think I would have been heartbroken otherwise. Um, because yeah, it was just so, so great. I, I love and- cooking and baking and all that too. So it's it's just... Oh man, just great. Yeah. And isn't that one of our common questions, you know, as a guy and I'm, I'm often clean shaven. It's like, Oh, you just such a good job shaving. How do you do that? And then I think the second most is, did you, are you afraid in the kitchen? Uh No, (laughs) no, I need to eat. I'm not afraid. I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The hunger trumps any fear. Okay. (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry, I would be remiss to say, like, when when you talk about that scale and the explanation that we had of 
you know, the, the spectrum of, of being um, blind or having vision impairment, uh, a lot of, especially the early work that we did is, is thanks to our sensitivity readers. Um, so I have mm-hmm. to thank you, Costa Urena, and I have to thank Liam Cruz. What was really important for us in developing this role was going to them before we knew who the character was going to be. You know, we knew we wanted someone who was blind or vision impaired, but I think it's really important to talk to someone from the community you're representing before you fully developed a character, because I don't know what the best version of a blind character on our show is going to be. I really, we went to Yocasta first um, and said, we want to have a blind character on the show. What, What would the best version of that character be? Who could that be to make the most impact? What are the things that you see that annoy you? And what are the things that um, you hear and experience that, you know, you you think we should really push forward with? And she first thing was like, I want a character who's loud. I want a character who's funny. I want a character who's confident uh, because those are the types of representations that that she hadn't really been seeing enough of. And so it's a big reason why Meg is the way she is. Well, you just answered my next question because I wanted to know what kind of research was was put into creating Meggie. Um, and you just hit a nail on the head for me. It's the confidence. And you probably couldn't have found a better actress to I portray <laughs> both the silly, cute, um, vivacious. Neff, you, you, you're, you're like a, you're like when you first open that bottle of soda or that can of soda. <laughs> and remember, you know, when the bubbles kind of go up, oh, your nose. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's your effervescent. Um, so, you know, the confidence that comes through is great, too. One of the things I, I love about, about the podcast is the fun and different ways you work education into, you know, obviously, you're figuring out the ingredient, you know, at some point, um, each ingredient, and, and it's sort of a tapestry, you know, a, a commentary on the tapestry of life. You know, each of us is in, an ingredient in the tapestry of life, but you find some really fun ways of of presenting the education within the show so let's run the next clip and then come back and talk about it that sounds great let me get that going if we put some hardened brown sugar in a bowl with a slice of sandwich bread and cover it with some plastic wrap then microwave it for about 10 to 20 seconds the brown sugar will absorb the moisture from the bread and soften up what that's surprising This I've got to see. Lucky for you, I always come prepared. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready, as they say. (laughs) Exactly. I brought some supplies so we can try it out. Here's a bowl with a chunk of hard-as-a-rock dark brown sugar. Just put this bread in the bowl and we'll cover it with this plastic wrap and zap it in the microwave for 10 to 20 seconds. Perfect. Do you need any help with the microwave, Maggie? Oh, thanks, Andrea. But I'm okay. I put a nice big dot on the number five on the keypad of the microwave. That helps me find all the other numbers, even though I can't see them very well. I know the two is right above the five, and the eight is right below it, for example. I'm all set. Oh, that's awesome. Now, let's soften this sugar. Oh, wow. That really worked. That was so easy. Who'd have thunk it? Well, me. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, huh? Okay, that is a million dollar laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I, 
I'm sure Neff can can corroborate this. That that is definitely one of the things that we're asked about or that amazes people. Um, you know, they're called bump dots for the most part. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a brand name or if that's the actual, but um, bump dots is what we order and we place them on our stoves. We place them on our microwave, our refrigerators that have buttons, you know, and all over the house, really. So you were teaching in two different areas in the same little clip. I, I, I just find that, and it was so um, homegrown. It, it, you know, it was so perfect the way it was done. Now, what do you, what do you, what are your yeah. comments on that? I mean, I, I love Maggie's confidence in saying thanks, but no thanks, you know, in a really respectful, let me make this a teachable moment. And Andrea is just like, all right, yeah, if you say you do, I'm going to trust you. <laughs> I love that. I think that's a beautiful way to model how we should treat kids, obviously not with something dangerous or whatever, but you know. To, to let them experiment. You know, I think that this entire podcast, the entire Mystery Recipe podcast has been exceptional representation of blindness in the kitchen this season, of course. Um, and, you know, this, this, this blindness in the kitchen concept, it's a space that all too often feels out of reach for people who are blind or who live with low vision. And I, I wholeheartedly believe, as having been a blind kid myself, that blind kids deserve the opportunity to be creative and joyful, and they have every right to cook and bake, just like their sighted counterparts. So, you know, I, I think that this podcast gives young chefs, I love that reference, young chefs, and their grown-ups, really powerful glimpses into how a blind person can successfully and, and, safe, uh, and, and be safe in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, I, I just like you were saying earlier that you want a Maggie Aggie in your life kind of thing. I wish I would have had a Maggie Aggie in my life growing up because I was fortunate to have a mommy who, you know, didn't let whatever hesitation she may have had at having a blind kid in the kitchen stop me or keep me from exploring recipes or learning techniques. But having a Maggie Aggie character would have really, I think, made that so much more easier for me growing yeah. up representation really really matters so i hope this not only teaches the mainstream but also reaches more you know other blind kids and low vision folks too yeah you know it, for me thinking thinking about this it's not even reaching blind kids I, yes that is definitely something that i'm very excited about but for me it's the all the old rest of the family you know, sometimes we have yes. parents that, whether it's blind, um, you know, wheelchair disability, we have parents that think that if I can save my kid from getting that scrape knee, if I can save my kid from having that embarrassment of having to do things differently, I'm doing a good thing. And the first thing that I always say is, all kids scrape and, and, and all kids fall and scrape their knee. Yeah. All kids make mistakes. All kids drop the gallon of milk. All kids you know, burn the first thing that they make, you have to let them experience that. Otherwise, mm -hmm. the bigger things that come along are going to be too big to handle. And then the secondary to it is imagine a family sitting around and, and the grandma, I'm just going to pick one person, but the grandma, you know, who has such a fear, I, 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 I can't see my little blind grandson or granddaughter in the kitchen because God forbid they burn themselves, they hurt themselves. 
and then they watch they'll listen to a podcast like this it is it's it's going to open up so much for families and and by extension the mainstream you're right the mainstream isn't the first for me and and the kids themselves aren't the first for me i think it's the the supporting cast of of the blind kids life that it really is going to make the most difference for Chad, I, I have to say, amazing, amazing job. Um, do you have any comments on what we're what we're talking about now? Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't stress enough how important it was to have so many talented people helping with this role. Nefertiti, Irina, Liam, who was the other sensitivity reader, brought so much to the character. Based on what we're describing, so you know food is is a way in um, but so often on the show we use food to talk about something bigger something more important how to be a good person how to show up for your friends um, how to care about your neighbors Um, we use food as a way in and i think maggie and and this microwave example uh microwave segment for example like we're not just learning about how uh blind people use the microwave you know by seeing oh here's an example of she has a way, an established way. She's confident. She knows exactly what she's doing. We're then sort of implying that this is true for every other aspect of a blind person's life. Um, it's not just the microwave. We don't have time to talk about every way that someone can do something. Um, but by including things like this, hopefully kids are able to sort of make the connection, take it one step farther and say, oh, someone who I maybe assumed might not be as capable as I am or as capable as I thought they were really has a way of doing everything. And I need to sort of shift how I'm thinking about other communities. It does. And, you know, a perfect perfect example of that is when, you know, when I was going through elementary, junior high, um, we didn't have any kind of diversity education. We, you know, now I've been, I can't even tell you how many schools I've been to with my guide dog. And in everyday normal interactions, it's not the parents that say, no, 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 no. You can't talk or touch him. It's the kids that turn around and tell their parents, no, mommy, he or she is working. Mm-hmm. You can't talk to them while they're working. Wow. So the <laughs> osmosis of what you're giving wow. to these kids, it's going to be, it's going to be ingrained in them. So many, I, I think often back to so many of the lessons that I learned from things like Sesame Street, And even fun stuff like Muppet Babies that had a a moral lesson in every episode. So much of it comes back to me in my adult life. And and Mm -hmm. I wonder how many blind folks are going to be affected by the generation that's going to experience this later on in life. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully a lot. And, you know, I just one of the things that I've been forgetting to say and meaning to say is that I absolutely applaud Chad and his team's forethought, insight, wisdom into tapping into the community of blind folk, getting sensitivity readers to tell them about blindness, to instruct them, right? What's our motto? Nothing about us without us. Without us, yeah. And that's exactly what was done here. And that, I think, is the number one building block on what made this so good and so true to life. You know, that they, they understood. Like it takes blind people to make this happen. Absolutely. And to any executive producers who may stumble across this podcast, this Sunday edition, this is what it truly means. And not just for blind folks, for any, anyone in a marginalized community, Mm -hmm. go to that community and ask them, 
what they need to see, what they need to hear, how they need their experience to be represented. I know we have we have one more clip, don't we, Chad? We do have one more, yes. All right, let's roll that, and then we'll talk a little bit more. All right. Div Mitzi. Yeah, the nicest. All right, friends, let's get going. We're going to start in the general kitchen, which is just down the hall here. Okay, cool. I'm just going to use my white cane for the walk over there. Oh, how rude of me. Do you need any help? Oh, no, thank you. I'm fine. No, please, I insist. Here, let me help guide you down the hallway. I'm fine, really. Oh, no, I won't take no for an answer. That's all right. I understand that you're coming from a kind place, but I really do not need help. Yeah, Dad, Maggie has been blind for most of her life. She knows how to get around. No problem. Oh, oh, goodness. I'm sorry. It's okay. Like I said, I know you were just trying to be nice. Don't worry about it. But I get myself to work every day. I know what I'm doing. It's actually really important to remember to ask if someone needs your help before you help them, regardless of whether they are disabled or not. And if they say that they don't need help, you should believe them. That's true, Maggie. Helping people is a great thing. And if someone needs help, it is kind to stop and help them. But we don't want to assume someone needs help just because they are disabled. And we definitely don't want to touch someone or start helping them without asking for their permission first. It'll be much easier for me to get down this hallway by myself than it would be for you to try and help me. I got it. Thanks for taking the time to explain that to me. No problem, Mitt. Well, should we begin the tour? Actually, before we do, maybe we can finish up this episode first. Ah, good idea. (laughs) Hands down, without a doubt, this is my favorite moment of the entire season. It illustrates so perfectly what so many of us go through in such a cute and really, really respectful way from the entire American Council of the Blind Community. And you know what? I'm going to throw the other organization and folks that don't belong to any organization from the entire blind and low vision community. I want to say thank you for presenting that perfectly. Hooray! (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad to hear it. I'm so, so just, you know, so glad to hear that. It really was. I think this was one of those topics that, you know, Yocasta um, and Liam at the very beginning were like, this is definitely something that we need to find a way um, to touch on. And it took us until week seven because it's complicated. And, you know, I kept being like, we'll find a time now, we'll find a time now. Um, But you just, you know, you wait until you you have the right idea. um, And then, you know, I'm I'm glad that we got it in a place that that it it works the way that you say it do. That's so appreciated. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it was beautifully done because it took till week seven, as Chad said, it's complicated. But up until this point, if you listen to to the season, you'll notice that it happens throughout people asking Maggie, do you need help with this? Or can I help you with that? And it just got to a point where it was like, everybody understood it. And then Mitzi's dad comes into the studio, and you know, he's new. And so he's done it. And then we were able to to have this whole scene pan out, like how to handle it politely, but firmly and succinctly. And it was, it was beautiful. And I think the example again was really, was really set in that how many times are we offered help unwarranted or unwanted and people, 
generally you're coming from a good place, but man, can that be annoying? And, you know, we even we touched upon a little bit about the idea of consent. Like you should believe them if people say that they don't need help, you know, not take it so personally kind of thing. So it was just a, a really beautiful, I guess, like a, a leading up to scene, which again, we all experience in our, in our day to day. So it was, it's just fantastic. And I can't absolutely. say enough things. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, to your point, building, building, um, Maggie Eggie's, uh, confidence and, and skill sets through, you know, the, the, the prior six episodes, the microwave, for example. And, you know, when, when Maggie was, um, first introduced in the kitchen itself, you know, those were all examples of, Hey, you know, she's kind of got it. So by the time this came along, Mitzi is also part of the explanation, which is what happens. That's what our families and our friends have to do. Sometimes, you know, there are a lot of folks that, and they're so well-meaning. And this is, you know, when I see things on, on social media, like, oh, this person grabbed me and I was so angry. My first response is always take yourself just one step back and realize 90% of the time, they don't want to make you feel less. They want to do something that is going to make your day easier. And they think they're being, they think they're having that Superman moment. Take a step back and, and, and then explain calmly, politely. But our friends and our family end up having to do it for us more often because people, unfortunately, don't always hear us when we say it, even when we're saying it loud. Yeah. And I think yeah. that was like a big part of the balance in this scene. Like, I wanted to make sure that Maggie had autonomy and authority to say firmly on her own, please, you aren't understanding, I don't need help. But then I also wanted to provide language and an example of what it means to be an ally and how and when to step in and sort of give kids vocabulary that they can sort of mimic and they can understand if someone says they don't need help, believe them. You know, that's a phrase that kids can just have now in in their back pocket and sort of be able to to mirror and to know um and so trying to to balance both um felt important for this yeah so gorgeous now that you're here on sunday edition talking to us and and i can firmly say i don't think anyone who experiences this season um and then listens to this podcast would have any different opinion you did it you got the job done. You really represented basically perfectly. Is there a feeling of, all right, I, I, I got it right. Good. <laughs> now, <laughs> now I can, I, I can, you know, let that last little piece of the breath out. I think personally, it's just gratitude. Like I've said it before, but there's no way to provide representation like this on your own. Um, and, you know, I couldn't be more thankful to everyone who brought some of themselves to this. And it's been just like a very generous process to be able to work with people who are so willing to hear what we're doing and say yes and and provide direction and provide support. Um, and Nefertiti especially, you know, I've thanked you so much, but I can't thank you enough for just being so giving and generous in this process you know i'm i'm just grateful because there there are so many ways it could have happened um and it would have never been what it is without everybody's help but nefertiti you especially oh thank you 
Likewise, well, if you weren't there to not- write it, this wouldn't have happened. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have not listened to the final episode. I'm dying to know um, what oh, the recipe is going to end up being. You are in for being. a real treat, literally. <laughs> <laughs> But Nep is my friend, and I'm definitely looking out for her paychecks, but also for our community at large. Do you think we'll see Maggie Eggy in subsequent seasons? Definitely, definitely. I think, you know, we (laughs) we spend so much time falling in love with her. You know, kids especially, with any kind of podcast, you know, you form such a connection to the people whose voice you're hearing, but kids especially form such connections with these characters. Um, We always bring them back. There, there will be some kind of expertise that Maggie will have and we'll be able to call her up, um, have her pop into the, the recipe lab, which is what we call our studio, whenever those kind of moments pop in on the show. I want to give you each a couple of moments to reflect on this season, on this journey with Maggie Eggie, um, and speak to the community itself and, and the larger community around our folks why should they why should they give this this season a shot? Why should they listen to the whole season? And what does it all mean for you? Let's start with Neff. Well, if you are a blind person or an ally to blind folks or have anything to do with disability representation and accessibility as a human right and all that stuff, you know, nothing about us without us, I think that this is, like I said earlier, a phenomenal representation of what is possible and what should be expected high expectations uh, for our young chefs even if they're blind maybe especially if they're blind or have some type of disability and I think it's just fun this is just a fun podcast I'm an adult and I have laughed uproariously at Mitzi especially <laughs> and there's I, I, an episode where Mitzi, Mitzi and Maggie are like ice skating and I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to learn how to ice skate too now. So it's <laughs> it's it's just fun. And you learn. In Tricky Trivia, there were things that I didn't know. Again, I'm an adult and I learned from Tricky Trivia. So there's something for everyone. And I just want to say, this is a podcast that has three episodes per week. So it, Maggie's episodes are every second episode of the week. So every Wednesday of the week. But you have an episode on a Monday and you have an episode on a Friday and you learn tons of stuff during those times, too. So lots to listen to, lots of fun to have, uh, lots of learning to do. And the representation can't be beat. Absolutely. Before we go to Chad, this is definitely a podcast that you can from your 98 year old great grandmother all the way down to your two month old infant that you can all enjoy. There's something in it for everyone. Maggie, uh, Maggie, <laughs> I cannot believe I keep doing this. <laughs> Neff, if there's one dream scene that you could have as Maggie Eggie in next season or subsequent seasons, what would it be? Oh my gosh, talk about putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> definitely something with Mitzi. And Chad too, if he's if he's you know there, because Chad, you guys, Chad is also part of the podcast. So not only is he producing it and writing it, but he's, he's also so part and, of he's it. He's so adorably entertaining. Yes, by the way. <laughs> thank he you, really thank is. you. He sings and he he comes up with these great science experiments. I mean, it's just wonderful. So something with the three of us to some some capacity, maybe singing a song or putting on a little dance or. 
or something where where Maggie keeps the beat because she's you know she's a timer or so I don't know but we'll figure it out (laughs) yeah I love that question thank you for asking it because it makes my job just a little bit easier (laughs) well as as a listener I, I would love to see like a mystery ingredient and the three of you guys figure it out um with maybe like a song or something um chat it's your turn some thoughts on on the journey and and speak to our community sure yeah i think um one of the things i love most about the show is how universal food is it's such a, an easy way in for young people um and cooking and baking is such a universal hobby so many people care about it and people of every imaginable background and identity identify as chefs and bakers um and it's really great to be able to have a show with such a strong focus and theme that's also just so open um and allows room for so many types of voices and so many different identities to to strongly represent themselves around a common goal and a common theme you know and being a good chef is the first thing that you learn on the show but hopefully being a good friend and neighbor is the second thing that you'll learn. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the the type of representation that uh, we've been able to uh, provide with Maggie. And if that's something that you're looking for, that you think your young chefs are looking for, or if you have a blind person in your family and you want, you know, your young person to to have other context for, for those who are visually impaired, then um, please check us out. We'd appreciate it. You know, I, I just want to congratulate you also because I don't remember what episode it is, but there's a moment too where you, you talk about not everybody is going to be good at cooking. Uh, not everybody is going to feel comfortable about it. And I, I thought that was great too. So for our listeners, um, and I'm putting Neff on the spot again, but Chad, can you tell us where to find the podcast? And then hopefully Neff won't mind in Maggie Eggie's voice, will you Tell our Spanish listeners where they can you repeat the information Chad gives us in Maggie's Spanish voice. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. So as they say, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. So that means Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, um, Amazon Music, Stitcher, all of those places. You can go to atkkids.com slash mystery recipe. That's atkkids.com slash mystery recipe. Yeah. Check us out. Ok, como dicen, eh, pueden encontrar la podcast en cualquier punto donde tengan podcast. Puede ser Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music. Y pueden también encontrarlo en, el, en la red social o en el website de atkkids.com slash mystery recipe. Y así es que se llama el podcast, se llama Mystery recipe parte de america's test kitchen kids hooray <laughs> oh come on you can give us the real laugh come on now give us the oh, real laugh. oh my gosh <laughs> um uh oh what do i say you're putting me on the spot oh my gosh <laughs> atkkids.com <laughs> <laughs> awesome and if listeners want to tell you chad and then you Neff, um personally what it means to them or or if they have any questions or comments how can they contact you 
Absolutely. Uh, you can leave us a review. Those matter. That really does make a difference. And so wherever you listen, if you want to leave us a review and a comment, please do so there. It does help us. Um, you can also send us an email at uh, mysteryrecipe at americastestkitchen.com. So that's mysteryrecipe at americastestkitchen.com. Absolutely. And you can follow me on Twitter if you'd like to. I'm at Neff Matt Oli, the first three letters of my three names, M-E-F-M-A-T-O-L-I. You'll be able to keep up with audio description stuff and other voice acting things. And whenever Maggie Eggie comes back, or if I just feel like, you know, pumping her up again, you'll be able to keep track of it there. All right. I want to thank you both so much for joining me. Um, I hope you have a beautiful holiday season. And whenever uh, the next uh, season of the podcast drops, please let me know and come back and let us know about it on Sunday edition. Whether or not Maggie is in that first episode or not, we'd love to hear it. Thank you guys Absolutely. so much. Thank, Thank you. you. So much. Thanks so much for having us. I'll say what, um, as a sign off, what Molly and, and Mitzi say for everybody. Keep on cooking. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Anthony. And thanks, Chad. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Take care. This holiday season, Sunday edition with Anthony Corona in association with Shane Salt Productions presents A Christmas Carol in 365 Dolby Sound voiced by over 50 leading voiceover talents. Look to your community call listings for dates and times and a special for our Spanish brothers and sisters on Thursday, December 22nd at 8 p.m. The Spanish recording of A Christmas Carol. Look for that in your community call listings as well. In esta época de fiestas y de Navidad, reciban un regalo especial patrocinado por Sunday Edition. Anthony Corona con la participación de Shane Soul Productions y en conjunto con el Comité de Asuntos Hispanos del American Council of the Blind una historieta navideña en la voz de más de 50 actores de renombre internacional el día jueves 22 de diciembre a las 8 de la noche hora del este all right, so we're back with Marty Sobo and Michael Babcock. We're going to be getting to know them a little bit and then talking about their wildly popular call on ACB Media and um, how that turned into a business. Or was it a business before and you brought the call to ACB Community Calls? Uh, I would say it started out as a business, kind of. Uh, we weren't necessarily doing... Our own ACB uh, call, what it was, we were doing some web work and some other audio work for other clients. And we were working for another company doing calls and Zoom workshops and things like that. And then we went independent on our own. All right, folks, that's Marty. If you guys haven't participated in one of their calls, let's say hi to Michael real quick. Michael. Hey, Anthony, thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. And Marty summed it up pretty well. It was, uh, you know, we got to know each other by jumping both feet first into doing some some work for a client. And then uh, we we started doing a similar call to what is now known as the Unmute Presents Community Call. 
and then decided to take that on our own and reach out to Sendy and started hosting it in the community. Awesome. It does also so- have a companion podcast with it. So our show will be uh, live, and then after the live show ends, it gets edited and distributed as a podcast pretty quickly after the show, the live show ends. And you guys have made some announcements in the last week or two that uh, hopefully you'll repeat for us listeners here on Sunday edition. But before we get there, let's go all the way back. Who wants to uh, who wants to go first? Tell us a little about themselves, their lives. Um, you know, and how they came to find ACB and, you know, each other. I should go. All right. So going all the way back, uh, we always had technology in my house growing up. So when I was a kid, I started out with a Commodore 64 and we had an Apple IIe. So those were what I started on. And then moving forward, you know, there was Windows machines in the house. Apple kind of went you know, sideways for a few years there in the 90s, but they came back towards the end of the 90s. And once they had Steve Jobs come back and they started coming out with their new iMacs and all of that stuff, I went back and never looked back since. And uh, I did work originally in the music industry doing management, marketing, promotion, and did, you know, all that stuff that goes along with that, video and photography, things like that. And uh, yeah, every day I was using technology to do my job. So I did that until I would say the early-ish 2000s and then pivoted to doing service work where I worked. I worked at a main uh, support depot where we did repairs for uh, 10 different stores, all of those people that would bring their computers into the Genius Bar and they were not able to be fixed at the Genius Bar, they would send them to the depot for more further diagnostic and repair. And I kind of oversaw all of those computers coming in, worked with the technicians to make sure that the diagnostics got done, figured out what exactly was wrong, and then went back to the customer to let them know what was wrong. Was a computer in or out of warranty or was it going to cost something to fix it? And then make sure that it all got done and got it back to um, the uh, customer. Uh, that lasted till about 2014, which is when I lost my vision. And so I had to retire from that job, had to take some time off to obviously repivot and kind of figure out what was going to be next. Well, I had to learn how to do all of the accessibility stuff, which I didn't even know existed, actually, until I had to know about it, which is kind of crazy to me that there was uh, so much accessibility available even then. Uh, It's come a long way even since then. Once I learned kind of all the basic stuff, I was able to kind of mess around with it on my own and dive in from there. When I had lost my vision, I also got introduced to a mobility coach who taught me how to travel with a white cane. And uh, he turned out to be someone who I worked with for about two years, and he became a very good friend. And so to this day, we're still actually very good friends. But he uh, was the one who originally introduced me to ACB. And I kind of been involved in doing stuff with ACB sort of ever since then. And that's been 
um, doing everything from uh, helping individuals who are losing or have lost their vision with their technology and the accessibility features, or whether that's been doing talks at a convention. I've been to a bunch of different conventions doing, you know, workshops, talks, all that kind of stuff. And uh, for a while, I would say uh, about two years, and this is originally how I met Michael, the at-the-time president of the state of Oregon, ACB, uh, approached me and said, hey, we're having a ton of problems with our website. We really need help. You know, is this something you can help us with? And so I said yes, and we recruited, or I should say she recruited Michael and introduced us. And then together, we basically, for the next two years, resolved all of these crazy problems that they had with their website and rebuilt it from the ground up. and. Uh, all of that good stuff. And then Michael and I just became really good friends, business partners, and then continued working together ever since. And now we've got our own business and clients and everything else. So that brings us to about today, I would say. That's pretty awesome. So um, do you want to shout out the person who brought you to ACB? Sure. Her name was Carrie Muth, and she was the president of the state of Oregon at the time. And actually, she, she still currently is the is, president. Uh, so, Carrie's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Would you mind sharing with folks how you lost your eyesight? Yeah, it was retinopathy. Um, it sort of came on pretty quick. I wore glasses from the regular glasses from the time I was a teenager. Uh, all the way up until I lost my vision. And originally, I just thought that it was time for new glasses. You know, I hated going to the doctor or anything like that, getting your eyes dilated and doing all that stuff. So I would put it off as long as possible. But it got to the point where I had to go and there was problems. And uh, it turned out they sent me to uh, one doctor and that doctor sent me to a specialist and two days of testing all day long in their office, every kind of thing you can imagine. At the end of all of that, they stuck me in the doctor's office and said, oh, well, you're going to be blind. Good luck to you. And uh, we'll do what we can, you know, to retain whatever vision you're going to have. But ultimately, you're going to be blind and the doctor walks out. So he was in there for, I don't know, three to five minutes at the max. Uh, and then I walked out going, what just happened? And they don't give you any resources. They don't anything. So I was left to process that and uh, figure out whatever I was going to do next on my own. So the story gets we were remarking before we started recording. Um, the story gets more and more similar. All right, let's pivot to Michael. Michael, tell us about yourself and um, how you found ACB and what were your first impressions of Marty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he really wants me to share them with him. No, so uh, this is maybe I where have... I leave and come back later, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have a slightly different story than Marty. I was born blind. Uh, I've been blind all my life, and I attended public schools f except for a summer camp or three that I went to at the Oregon School for the Blind prior to it being closed. My experiences in school were pretty typical. I'm the oldest of five kids, and I'm the only blind one in my family, so I typically did what all the other kids were doing and uh, hung out with my friends and family and, and just had a good old time. My uh, TVI, or teacher of the visually impaired, introduced me to JAWS, I want to say in probably fifth or sixth grade. And I, from there, kind of took the computer thing and ran with it. 
I remember having a instructor in school that was showing me about links list and then she showed me Google and then I, um, well, just kind of surfed the web and, and got myself into uh, whatever I wanted to get involved in. My first computer experience, though, was with an Apple IIe, and uh, I, I vaguely remembered, I think it was called Echo, and it was a card that you put in the Apple IIe computer that gave an output device that you could plug a speaker into, and then you could play That's games or use it, and that was amazing. Like that, that, to me, was revolutionary. I, in elementary school, was at a school that was... Uh, recycling a lot of their Apple IIe's. So I ended up getting an Apple IIe from them and bringing that home. And that was my first home computer. And then uh, we had dial up and we got Windows. And when I got JAWS uh, installed on my home computer, when we upgraded to Windows, I uh, really enjoyed just, just surfing the web and getting to know people. Uh, in high school, I kind of took a step away from computers. I, I still was online a little bit, but it wasn't as, as avid as I was during middle school. And then I graduated thinking that I was going to go into getting a computer science degree. Took about a year of school there and moved to Alaska and changed my degree to psychology. Kind of a little bit different, but in this day and age, it's actually kind of the same with all the AI that's available. Uh, I took a course at the Alaska Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired up in Anchorage in 2009. And I remember asking the computer teacher, hey, how did you get a job here? Because this would be kind of cool. Up until this point, I really hadn't had much work experience. And so he told me what he did. But um, funnily enough, in 2012, he reached out to me and said, hey, Michael, I'm getting ready to move on to a new position. I really liked working with you and think you'd be a good fit for the team. Why don't you apply for the position that's coming available? I said, I don't got the degree for that. They want a degree. And he said, just apply. So I put in my application with a resume and a cover letter. And uh, had two interviews with the organization. They hired me, and it was probably the most fun I had doing doing work. Sadly, later that year, my mom uh, suddenly passed away, and so I moved back to Montana to take to, to help take care of my younger siblings and you know do the family thing after we lose a, a major pillar in our family. Then I ended up working again in customer service and was introduced to ACB in 2019. I had heard about ACB, had uh, explored ACB media in the early aughts, but I never really got involved in any consumer organization. And I reached out to the other one and said, hey, where's your local chapter to where I'm living? And they said, we only have a virtual chapter. I said, well, I can make phone calls all day long. I don't, I don't want to get involved in an organization that just has a, a virtual phone call conference chat. Uh, so I reached out to ACB and said, hey, where's your local chapter? Actually, I think I found it on that defunct website and uh, found out that they had a local meeting in our community. And I went there and the rest is pretty much history. As Marty said, uh, we were appointed to work on the website. Marty and I had actually kind of known each other, but didn't realize that we knew each other a little bit uh, prior to getting on the website thing. And uh, we went to convention together and unfortunately never really actually got to meet, uh, but we knew of each other at that point. And then in 2020, when the pandemic shut everything down, we decided to start doing uh, website stuff and a couple other projects. And that is pretty much my history.
All right. Um, you know, it's, uh, it sounds like we, the three of us actually seem to have a lot in common. I think we're around the same age. My first convention was Rochester, which was my first real introduction to ACB. Um, which, which convention was it for you guys? Uh, it would have been the state of Oregon, Salem that year, I believe. Uh, and that would have been 19 because when 20 hit the state of Oregon's convention usually doesn't happen till October. So it, we would have met at the convention in 19. And then in March of 20, the pandemic hit and there was no convention that year. So it was 19, I believe. And my first national convention in person was going to Omaha and working. So that was my first <laughs> national convention. And that is a totally different experience. I don't recommend people going to their first convention while you're working because my understanding and, and from what I what I observed this year, it is different as a vendor versus as someone just attending for sure. Yeah, I did my first state convention um, as a vendor this year. And, and it is a much, much different experience. <laughs> Yeah, and and with especially with national, if you know, if you're going and you want to do tours and you want to meet a lot of, well, you meet a lot of people as a vendor, but you know, then you can't run off and and go have lunch with them or go get a drink or you know, yeah. If you want to experience seminars and and tours and things, don't do your first national as a vendor. (laughs) No, Um, no. But jumping back a little bit, you know, you both mentioned the Apple IIe. I um I also started on a Commodore 64 primarily. Um, my family also had an Apple IIe. Um, I had sight. I lost my sight about six and a half years ago. Um, and you know, I remember the differences. I personally, I, I felt even at the time that the Commodore was a, just a little bit ahead as far as integration was concerned. Um, it was less steps using the Commodore for most things. Although I do remember sitting there for four and a half hours writing something. And then a little man would go across the screen, a couple of balloons yeah. and fireworks would go off. And it was like, wait, wait. If I, I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, was that a programming language called Logo? I would sit there and program for, I don't know, two hours, and then you hit the go when you're all done, and it makes like a triangle or something. Yeah. And now I have been fighting with this problem that I have some client work, and I want to create a folder that for each client and i want the computer to prompt me what's the name of the client and then create these subfolders and i've been trying to figure out how to do it i literally went to openai.com and said hey build this little script for me and it took 30 seconds so funny how computers have come along i know i know and i I, there's a couple things i'm i'm working on them building scripts for too I remember, you know, back with Commodore 64, there was a program called Geos, which sort of was the precursor to, you know, the Windows operating system itself. And it was light years ahead of the the rest of the computers that were on the market at that point. They started using folders. And however, you know, you'd sit there with like 12 disks and it'd be like, okay, switch from disk one to disk two and now disk yeah. three, you know, and then you'd have to go back to disk six for something. And it was kind of crazy, but. Man, I remember my dad along. brought home this little thing that looked like a stapler. And I was like, what is that? He's like, oh, look, let me show you. And he pulls out one of these floppy disks that you would use on the Commodore. You know, it was probably one of those three and a half inch floppy disks. 
He goes, you slide it in here like this, and you punch it like you would a stapler, but it makes a, another little half circle on the other side the of the disc. The notch, yes. Yeah, and then you can flip the disc over, and now it's twice the size. You can put twice the data on it. It's pretty funny. That, yeah, and do you remember um, they had introduced the, the tape machines? So you could put data on actual cassette tapes at one point. Um, and do you remember before the WWW, there was CompuServe and Prodigy and a couple of those, you know, pre-internet, internet, um, yep. services. And you'd sit there, bleep, 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 blah, 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 yep. blah, 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 you know, and then yeah, five definitely. minutes later, you're, you're finally on the home screen and then you'd have to wait another two or three minutes for each page to load. It was it was all you young ones out there listening. We're the ones that pioneered for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the pandemic hit and, you know, Cindy came along with a few others uh, of us that were already kind of doing calls. Um, but it was, it, there was a need and Cindy identified, well, let's bring this all together under one structure and call started springing up. When did you guys first decide to present Unmute? So Michael and I were actually working for a company, and the same thing happened with the company that we were working for. It was a nonprofit organization that provided resources and stuff like that for the blind and visually impaired community. And when the pandemic hit, they needed to pivot like everybody else in the world. So they started doing Zoom uh, workshops for their clients and their patrons, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so we were doing that for a while. And then probably about six months into doing that, I would say, we started doing the calls and incorporating the calls into the ACB community calls. Um, there was a couple of people who did it from the jump. And they already had some successful calls. So they suggested, hey, let's, you know, grow our numbers and take our calls to uh, the community calls. So started doing that. And I would say that uh, we did that for maybe about a year, maybe a year and a half. And then Michael and I decided to go independent and do our own thing. So I would, uh, let, I think it was March of 22 that we really started talking fully about it. Hey, let's, let's, let's evolve this. Let's go ahead and step out, do our own thing. That way we can control the days and times that we are, um, presenting and, and we can be responsible for some of the, the content that we're producing. And well, honestly, I like the idea because I'm horrible about creating notes. And when I was doing work for the other organization, I needed to create notes. So when Marty brought that to my idea or to my attention, I said, of course, I'd love to. No note taking. I like it. And so uh, we started doing that. I want to say, I think our first community call was in May. And it was a Monday evening because we thought, oh, Monday evenings, 5 p.m. Pacific time would be great. Michael didn't think about the fact that he had to make dinner, but, you know, just run with it. And we had very low attendance. Like, uh, I think, was didn't we end up closing the call down after like 35 minutes, Marty? And we were scheduled yeah. for an hour? Yeah. yeah. And uh, in the very, very beginning, you know, our, our thought process was, okay, so we know, since we were independent, we could go days and times whenever we wanted. So 
what we decided to do and thought what would work well is to do twice a month, like every other week kind of a thing. And we would do one in the daytime and then one in the evening time. And we thought we would catch all the people maybe who weren't able to go, you know, during the day in the evening and vice versa. We'd catch all the people who maybe couldn't go in the evening, but they could come during the day. We come to realize after messing around days and times that that became actually really difficult and it didn't really go the way we thought it would go. So we pivoted to just picking once a week. So we go once a week and we do it the same day, same time, and we don't change anything. And once we did that, after a couple of weeks, we really started to grow to where we're at now, you know, and somewhere on the process, we started just editing our calls down after it was all done and distributing them as a podcast. So that helped as well. So if you want, I can give a little history on that podcast transition. Yeah, go for it. So we originally talked, I think it was to Cindy about them getting published as podcasts in the ACB community calls. And so I set up a a process to be able to get those calls into a shared Dropbox folder so ACB community could grab them and publish them to the podcast feed. And we thought, well, this is great, but what if we want to do something else? What if we want to publish other type of content that wasn't actually hosted on the ACB community call? Because honestly, Marty and I wanted to start our own podcast. I, I convinced him to buy all this equipment that at first didn't work, and then he got more equipment, and then it started to work. And then we're like, well, what are we going to podcast about? So then we decided to turn our calls into our own podcast feed. So you can get our calls in both our podcast feed and the ACB community feed. But you can also get additional content in our podcast feed as well that is not published to ACB community. And what are some of those topics? They are actually, well, everything we're doing is uh, technology with accessibility, you know, in there. Um, And they're all different different topics. There's not any one specific topic. So the one that we just dropped in the feed uh, a couple of days ago is all about backups. You know, how do you back up? What do you use? You know, external hard drives, services and uh, backup batteries as well. So that was um, about a half an hour, I would say, from beginning to end, talking about all the different options for both. And then another type of content that we plan to be publishing, and ultimately we want to, I'll, I'll be fully transparent, I'll give some numbers. Ultimately, we want to publish three episodes a week, including the recording of the Unmute Presents community call. The uh, other type of content we will be publishing is short form. I want to know how to do something, but I don't want to sit through someone blabbering because they like to hear themselves talk. I just want them to show me how to do it. So the first piece of content that we're publishing about that is a two and a half minute piece of content that shows you how to subscribe to a podcast feed in Overcast because both of us use Overcast. And one of the questions we've been asked in the community calls is, How do I subscribe to a podcast? And that's where we get the ideas for either the more long-form content or the shorter how-to content is from the community calls and questions that we get asked. Because when you start doing a weekly community call or a weekly call in general and getting listener participation, you'll start to observe trends of similar questions being asked multiple times by either the same person or different people. And so that's what's helping us come up with the type of content to produce. 
Well, that's that's pretty awesome, and and I you know I love the fact that it's growing. I've streamed the call twice. Um, I, I also stream, and I, we all wear multiple hats. But then ACB and our local states and local yeah, chapters. <clears throat> but um, you know, I, I've streamed the call twice. I think I was there once because I actually had a question. Um, and what strikes me as different from a lot of the other tech resources, whether they be through the community or, or other area avenues is, you know, you guys don't seem to mind different skill levels. You don't, there doesn't seem to be a question that, that gives off a, Oh, come on. You really don't know that vibe or, or, and if you don't know the answer and I've witnessed this, you know, multiple times now, all right, hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to find out. I'll be back. Let's take another couple of callers. Um, and all of that, it, it's a bon homey community feeling on the call itself, while still very, you know, tech based. We're learning, but we feel comfortable. I, I would imagine that not many people are afraid to ask. You know, you get on some of these tech calls, and you're almost afraid to ask questions because the the knowledge that's playing. And I consider myself pretty tech savvy, but you know, some of these folks blow me out of the water. Um, and so do you want to talk about a little bit about creating the atmosphere and, you know, some of your regulars? Yeah. Um, well, so going back to what you were saying about, you know, making sure that everyone's comfortable asking their questions, you know, uh, I've been in tech, you know, or around tech, you know, my, most of my life. And going back to, you know, that moment where, you know, you walk out of that doctor's office and the doctor's yeah. saying, oh, you're going to be blind. You know, we'll do what we can, but otherwise you're going to be blind and good luck to you. And you walk out going, what just happened? You know, yeah, I kind of go back to that. It keeps me grounded because to be honest with you, from that point, I really needed to, you know, kind of learn all over again, you know, how I was going to use my technology from what I was used to previous to that, you know, before I needed to use the accessibility stuff. And when I had vision, you know, I had multiple monitors. I had, you know, 10 different things going at the same time, jumping in and out of uh, different apps, you know, doing all kinds of different things, music in the background, all of that kind of stuff. And when I had to learn, for example, using voiceover, I kind of went, whoa, I can only go as fast as I can understand this, you know, computer talking to me. And I can't do all the other stuff at the same time because. If I have yep. to listen to something talking to me, well, I can't really, you know, concentrate if I got music going in the background because I can't be reading everything with my eyes. So now I have to listen to everything and it slows your workflow down to only really being able to do, you know, one or maybe two things at a time. Now, as you get used to it, it does get a little bit faster, but nothing like how it was before. And so, you know, when I had to learn how to do all that stuff, it was really like learning all over again. And even once you learn just, for example, on an iPhone voiceover, for example, you learn that, but you have to learn, you know, all the different ways how apps are going to work. Some work, some don't work depending on the developer. And if they believe in developing their app with accessibility, you know, it's always a trial and error and it's always, hey, that's a cool app, you know. Does it work with accessibility or not? You know, so, you know, my mindset, you know, brings me back to that place. And, you know, I understand that people, if they are losing or have lost their vision, 
that there is much more of a struggle there than just, hey, you know, how do I do this on my phone? You know, you realize that there's a lot of people who now have to use the technology, even though maybe they weren't tech before, but now they have to learn how to use it because it's really the only way that they can, you know, communicate or do basic tasks, use their phone to read something or, you know, make and receive calls, text messages, all that kind of basic stuff where previous to losing their vision, maybe they weren't techie people and they could just read their mail or, you know, do it how a normal person would do it who was sighted. So uh, that's where I come from with trying to keep myself grounded. And I understand the difficulty behind, you know, trying to learn all over again or learn something that maybe you didn't know anything about or not having any kind of technical background and you're forced into it now. So you just got to give people, you know, a little bit more patience, you know, give them a little more uh, time to, you know, figure it out. So everyone's a little bit different, but that's kind of where I come from on it. I've always been the person to go to for family and friends. Again, I went to, to public schools. And I even had some, in some instances, our IT guy come to me and say, Hey, Michael, how do you do this? Or what would you do in this instance? And I'm like, wait, they're paying you and you're coming to ask me? I don't understand this. But it's always been the, the case for me. And uh, if you've been a longtime listener of the community call, and I say this jokingly, but it's really sometimes the case, I'll tell people, come and ask us your questions and we'll pretend like we know the answers. Because a lot of times I don't know the answers that people uh, of the questions that people are asking. Um, I mean, some of the more basic things I can just rattle off of responses or or it, you'll hear my phone in the background. Sometimes I try to mute so you don't. But I'm, I'm going into the settings to give people the exact place they need to go to. But what I find is all types of questions that we get asked is an opportunity for me to learn something new. Yeah. So Anthony might come and ask a question that I have no clue what the answer is, but you know what? I have Google pulled up right, right uh, next to zoom. So I can just command tab over to Google, do a quick Google search, see what I can find out and then share that information. And a lot of times we'll tell people, Hey, let's, let's, Let's either follow up with you on the call or send us an email and we'll follow up with you because that'll give me a little bit more time to do some research. And I love learning new things. There was a, a lady who I uh, met at, um, it was at some sort of a meeting. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was uh, somewhere and it was for a meeting and there was a bunch of people there. And this lady comes up to me and she kind of says, Oh, uh, excuse me, can I uh, ask you a question? And I said, yeah, sure. She goes, you know, I see that, you know, you use your phone, you're on it, you know, and you don't seem to have any issue. And uh, I cannot see the icons, what they say anymore. You know, she says, I'm an engineer. I've been in computers my whole life and been in IT, but, you know, not being able to see the screen and identify the icons is becoming a real challenge. And she had her sister there with her. And her sister said, yeah, she kind of hands me her phone and says, could you do this? Could you email this person? Could you text that person? Because she couldn't really see the screen anymore. Everything just looked like a blob to her, basically. And I asked her, I go, well, so do you use voiceover? And she goes, wait, what? And I said, voiceover, that's when your phone talks to you. you, you turn it on. And she said, I never even heard of that. And so I go, all right. So uh, I sat down with her after the meeting 
and I probably spent 15 minutes with her. I showed her voiceover. We turned it on. We set the voice speed to whatever she could understand. I showed her some gestures. I showed her how to like open apps with Siri and give it some commands, and I showed her how to dictate. And after that, she was a genius with her phone. She never knew any of those things were even on her phone or that they even existed. And I just went, you know, this is the kind of thing that really makes it worth it. You know, it's unfortunate when you're in the kind of situation like you lost your vision or losing your vision, and you just don't know where the resources are or who to talk to. I didn't know. I had to figure it out on my own. But helping someone like that, you know, she was so grateful after that she couldn't believe it, that all these things were on her phone right in her hand, and she had no idea about them. Yeah, you know, for for me, I um, my, the listeners know my story. I lost my sight basically, you know, suddenly. And um, I had transitioned maybe a year and a half back to Apple. I had gotten annoyed at Apple for, for quite some time and, and uh, had become a BlackBerry user. <laughs> and then BlackBerry's... And BlackBerry started to go, you know, not in the direction that I was happy with. And um, Samsung was starting to rise. So, um, you know, I had gone back to the iPhone before I lost my sight. So I had a really great, you know, I still do to this day. You know, when I'm on the Mac, I'm more visual than I than I am with uh, my memory is more visually based. So when I when I'm hearing what voiceover is telling me, I'm remembering what it looks like or what it should look like, you know, based upon the last operating system that I that I worked with with site. And yeah, it was it was kind of the same thing for me. I, I walked out with no resources, only go to the lighthouse. They're going to teach you how to how to you know walk with a cane. They didn't even, I, I, and I remember this very, very clearly because when I found out it was called mobility, mobility and orientation instruction, I was like, wow, you know, the doctor himself told me they're going to teach you how to walk with the stick. Or he might have said cane, but either way, I, I was like, you got to be. But fast forward, um, when I found out about voiceover and, and turned it on, it was maybe like, three or four weeks before I even knew there was a rotor, you know, it was just, all right, I'm going to go through this phone. I'm going to look and do, try to do everything that I've ever done and figure out how to do it with, you know, this really, really fast voice that I often tell site, site folk that'll ask me, how do you understand that? I'm like, Oh, don't worry about it. It's Swahili. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Michael, from, from your perspective, um, you know, there are, some of us in the community who are really tech savvy, there are some of us who basically only want to deal with it when we have to do something. But there are a lot of a lot of the blind from birth or or blind from a very young age that were in the organizational settings or in the school settings that were that were for blind and low vision. You went to public school. Do you, do you, have you ever had the conversation? Was it better this way? Was it better that way? And how did you bond with with Marty, with him being losing it kind of suddenly, middle of life, and you had all of this experience up to that point? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And, and I'll hand it over to Marty after I give you a quick overview, because I'm interested to see his thoughts on when we first connected. So going to public schools, I think, was a great opportunity for me. In some instances, when I've connected with other sight-impaired individuals who have 
gone to schools for the blind or or facilities that were dedicated to teaching younger kids how to do things uh, from a from from a visually impaired individual's perspective, uh, I, I at times get jealous, but also am glad. And and here's the why. When I was going to school, I was expected to do everything that my sighted peers were doing as well. I did have a uh, aide from eighth grade. It was the same assistant, actually, from the end of sixth grade through graduation. And her and I became very close. And, you know, she knew my uh, pros and she knew some of the negative things. Well, almost all the negative things about me. And she would help me with communicating and advocating for my teachers to provide me with accessible material. But that was it. We really didn't do any sort of independent living skills. I had an orientation and mobility instructor who came to the school once a month, and her and I would go and walk around and get familiar with public transportation. And then I had a TVI who came from the local educational, uh, educational service division and he would teach me Braille and new technology. And funny thing is, is, is he was my teacher from about second grade off and on through senior year. So, you know, I, I built these great relationships with these people, but I didn't get the dedicated independent living skills. And at home, mom was, oh, you want, you want to cook something? Go figure it out. Or you want to go climb a tree? I don't care. Go climb a tree. Like, she was very hands-off. She was not very protective. Um, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that uh, sheltering. That's the word that I wanted to use. That's, she didn't yeah. shelter me at all. And for that, I'm very thankful because it, it has turned me into the man that I am now. And I've seen a lot of, I've seen several individuals who went to a school for the blind and who were both sheltered by their parents, but they learned the fact that they could do things at the school. And, and it's a very complicated thing because you get that education, but then when you go home and your parents don't see the fact that other blind individuals are doing the things that you're doing, so they feel like they need to protect you because that's what a parent naturally wants to do. It can be very confusing, I would imagine, for a kid. So I was slightly jealous because a lot of times I would talk to some people who may not have been sheltered as much and say, and they'd be like, oh yeah, I do this and I do this and I do this. I'm like, how did you learn how to do that? And then I Googled it and figured out how to do things like that. Uh, so for me, I'm glad I went to public schools. Uh, I, I do wish I may have had a little bit more experience with a school dedicated for the blind. And Related to Marty and, and working with people, I didn't even think about the fact that he lost sight later in life. To me, he was just another blind person using voiceover on his iPhone and may have some questions for me or may have some ideas for things I hadn't tried. And so we just talked and clicked and got along. Uh, Marty, what did you think about it when you connected with me and, and me being a completely blind person all my life and you losing sight later in life? Uh, it's, it's really interesting because, uh, one thing that sort of carried over to be something that, uh, I was able to really utilize, uh, you know, once I lost my vision and being in the blind community, going back to, you know, music industry stuff and working in the music industry, 
You know, the biggest thing with awkwardness is when you're around people who are, you know, in big bands or actors, actresses, all of that stuff. You know, the thing that you have to do to make sure that everyone stays comfortable is not treat them any different than you would treat anyone else. You know, they just want to be normal people. They don't want to be treated like, oh, my gosh, you're so you know what I mean? They just you know, if you meet someone, even though maybe they're really, really famous or whatever, and someone introduces you. Hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. You know, you just treat them like a normal person like you would anymore, any with anyone else that you would uh, be talking to you. And that makes everyone the most comfortable. When I, you know, started working with people in, you know, the blind community, uh, it carries over. You know, the thing is, people just want to be treated normally. They don't want to be treated differently, you know? So even though you have to think about there are things that you got to be careful about, but at the same time, you uh, want to be treated normal. So like, for example, you know, with Michael and I, you know, we both have a sense of humor. We both joke around. We both, you know, can be funny. You know, we don't really take ourselves too seriously at this point, but we're both really, you know, versed into the technology. So a good example of this is, let's say we're doing a project and we need to get some graphics done and I handle that, you know, I'll get the graphics taken care of and then I'll send them over to him and I'll say, hey, I sent you over to the graphics and the assets for this project or for this client, you know, and I almost go, well, what did you think of them? And then I pull myself back and go, oh, wait, uh, well, let me explain to you what they are. And then I go, I'm kind of wasting my time, I feel like sometimes. So there is, sometimes there's a little bit of awkwardness there, but you kind of just get over it. But, you know, it's sort of interesting that even though I've lost my vision, I know what colors are. I know what things look like, you know, and Michael uh, doesn't really know what colors are, what they look like, or maybe he doesn't know what things look like. So he's got to kind of just imagine to whatever the best of his ability is. I can't even imagine not knowing what things look like at all, you know, even not having vision now. I knew what things looked like before, and I can have some sort of visual imagination in my brain about what things used to look like, you know? Um, so some of that is a little bit interesting. So, yeah. Um, it just depends, you know? I don't know. And, and Michael, you know, public schools, and, and go, you primarily spent your life outside of, of the blind and low vision community slash world. You know, what were some of the most common things that you had to explain to folks? The number one question I got asked when I was in school was, do you see in your dreams? That was the number one question that people would always ask me. And I get it. They're curious. But if I've never seen, I don't know if I'm actually seeing in my dreams. And that was my response to people is I feel sensations the same way that I do when while I am awake and and nothing seems to be different for me uh, when I'm dreaming. Another thing that I had to explain to people a lot of times is how I use the computer and, and how I'm effective on the computer. So I used to be a production assistant in a company that owned eight radio stations in our local market. And I would produce advertisements for clients and I would vo- do, I would voice them or I'd find music to, to share with the clients to see what they liked or 
Uh, my boss would say, hey, Michael, can you find this cart number and uh, uh, re-record it because we had an error last night? And I would get it done in, you know, seconds or, or a minute or two. And a lot of times people would ask me, how do you do that so fast? And I, I tell them, I said, I just efficiently use my keyboard. If I know that a car is 64662 and I know that number, I'm not going to scroll through with my arrows or my mouse. I'm going to type 646 and that brings me right to the 646 uh, items in the cart list. And, and so sharing how e, how not thinking about things or not limiting yourself by using a mouse or using your arrow keys and actually using the technology to your advantage um, has, has definitely helped with, with efficiency and help explain that to other people. I would say one other thing that's probably a huge difference uh, between us is, you know, when you lose your vision, you know, later in life, there's this whole big, you know, emotional piece to it. You know, it's loss. Um, you lose, like for me, you know, I drove, you know, I did everything independently. You know, it was um, having all that independence and driving and doing all the things, right, to not being able to do that anymore. So then, you know, there's this whole emotional component to dealing with all that loss. And that really, I don't think you really 100% ever get over that. It's always kind of there. I mean, it obviously gets less and you learn how to deal with things and you learn how to do stuff. But I think it kind of is always there in the background where, Someone who hasn't had any vision their entire life, you know, they just, that's all they know. So they just live like that and they don't know the difference. But with that being said, you know, they don't understand colors or pictures or what certain things look like, you know, stuff like that. So it's kind of a give and take um, back and forth, I would say. Yeah, you know, um, my youngest, I should say, nephew is nine years old, and it's it's going on seven years for me. You know, I, I often when people, how, you know, how do you feel now? And how did you deal with it? Honestly, I don't know exactly how I dealt with it other to say that I didn't really deal with it. I just started taking mobility lessons, I needed to learn jaws, I started playing with voiceover. And by the time I, I really thought about it, I was already, you know, two, two and a half years into it. But, um, and going back to the nephew thing, you know, I've seen all three of my, my nephew, my niece and nephews. I've seen them. I've actually seen them. I held them all. I saw their face. I saw them light up when I would make silly sounds. And so when, when I, meet other folks who are coming into blindness, especially the ones that are, that are either aging into it or they're losing it at a slower pace. Um, you know, I try to give off that first off, you're going to be okay. There is, you know, it is not Helen Keller, you know, times you, there is so much out there. You will be okay. And secondly, you know, take the time to feel it. Because, you know, at some point it's going to catch up with you and you're going to, you know, you're going to need their, they call it a grieving process for a reason. But I, I want to step back for a minute to something else we were talking about a few minutes ago, because the first segment of this, of today's program uh, is about America's Test Kitchen kids mystery recipe, which for the first time has a disabled character. This is season six and they introduced um, a visually impaired. Her name is Maggie Eggie, and she's an egg timer. 
And a lot of the Maggie Eggy scenes are teaching the, you know, the kids of the generation that is watching this now about being visually impaired. Um, and I kind of spoke with with the producer a little bit about, you know, parents that are very um, overprotective or sheltering and how sometimes, you know, a, a child will then go away to college or have to start a new job. And the tech skills are there, the, you know, the reading, you know, the comprehension, everything you need to actually perform the job is there, except the living life skills and some of the social skills um, are, are way far behind. And it becomes in almost overwhelming in, in cases, absolutely overwhelming. So what advice do you have to parents that are listening today? And, and I'd like to hear it from both perspectives, because I think it probably will be different. And let's start with Michael. For me, I would say the advice that I would have for parents, especially of younger blind or sight impaired individuals is let your kid be a kid. Kids are going to learn, they're going to explore, they're going to they're going to hurt themselves. They're going to they're going to also, you know, get wins in life. And I think that's the one thing that my my parents did when I was younger is they let me be a kid just like my sighted my sighted uh siblings. And yeah, I was climbing trees. I was riding bikes. I was, I was, you know, uh, falling down and breaking my nose. My cousin and I were playing in a fish tank when I was four and the fish tank fell off the rail and shattered all over me. No, that wasn't pleasant, but it was a learning experience for me as a kid because I know now, well, I mean, I should know now not to go play in a fish tank that's kind of teetering on a, uh, on a rail. I, I couldn't figure out how to open a window because I couldn't see the handle on it. So, you know, uh, when I was eight, I pushed my fist through the window and shattered the window and got scars on my hand. And that sounds scary. But it also was a learning experience for me as a kid that, hey, maybe you should slow down a little bit. Feel around. See if you can find that handle. That way you don't hurt yourself again in the future. And then I also had wins. I was... I was uh, playing on track and, you know, the Oregon School for the Blind had a amazing track that I could hold onto the rail on. And I went and I ran a mile in, in pretty good time. So there were both wins and losses and, and stories and lessons learned. So, again, let your kid be a kid. Well, from your perspective, Marty. So I would say coming from the point of view of losing your vision later uh, in life, it's you know, a shock to not only you, but to everybody around you, family, close friends, and, you know, whatever there, I would say, um, you know, you, you go through therapy, or if you haven't, you should, and uh, you should have your family uh, understand that what you're going through is a grieving process. That's one. So they understand kind of that part of it. And two, if you're going to be living with someone who's lost their vision to understand a couple of things. One is how do you live with, you know, someone who's lost their vision, someone who's blind or visually impaired? One of the most important things for people who uh, are blind or low vision is to make sure that you know where everything is. That's how you find stuff. You put it in a location where you know how to get to it and so that you can find it. 
And people who you live with who are sighted or who just go about their own things, they move stuff around. They don't think it's important to put it back where it was. Maybe something's on a counter and they shove it in a drawer, you know, uh, to them. They don't think it's a big deal. But to you, to be independent, you've got to know where stuff is. And it would be it's really important for people that are around you to understand how you find stuff, how you locate stuff so that uh, it doesn't affect you. Because trust me, it's really frustrating when someone comes in and they move things, put them away. They don't think it's a big deal. And then you can't find anything and you get frustrated. And that's uh, a really big deal. Another thing is also take a little bit of time and learn and understand what mobility is and how it is, you know, take some time to practice and learn sighted guide and uh, how to travel with the person you're with who may be blind or low vision so that you know how they travel, how to do sighted guide so that it doesn't turn into, you know, like an argument or they're yanking on your arm and just trying to drag you across a parking lot or whatever it is. I think all of those things are really important because really, when you lose your vision and you're trying to process all the th- all these things and you don't understand until you kind of learn all these things, I definitely can say that the people around you who are sighted definitely don't understand, don't understand. and they yeah. need to learn just like you do from their perspective to understand how to be able to co-mingle and travel around and do all those things. So that would be what my suggestion would be. You know, I often say that that mobility skills, social skills, and tech skills for those of us in the community, um, you know, they're the three hands that need to come together to have the most successful shot at living fully. Um, you know, you can live without one or even two of those potential pieces. But and I ask this because there's still a lot of folks that really, you know, they do the basic things with their phones. They can get on Zoom. They can send in and receive email and text, but that's it. Any, you know, any inspiring advice to folks that teeter on the edge of saying, you know, I, I might want to be able to do a podcast or I might want to do some writing or, or I might want to edit music, you know, any advice to those that are teetering that really still don't have very many tech skills? Well, I would say that, for most things, obviously, there's going to be some things that would be pretty difficult to do if you can't see. But there's a lot of stuff that you can do um, with uh, out vision. Um, you just have to make sure that you have the right, you know, software components or whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, for example, you know, when it comes to podcasting, like you mentioned, you know, there's ways to do things to make stuff so it's accessible for you. And even if you want to be able to edit your own audio, there's software out there that is accessible and that is, uh, gives you the ability to be able to do, you know, what you would want to do, just like a sighted person. I would say until you learn, you may be a little bit slower. But uh, you can do it. You got to just have some patience. You may have to take a few extra breaks. You may have to learn a little bit more. But, you know, give yourself some, you know, patience. And realistically, you may have to do a little bit of extra research or even ask. And this comes back to the asking thing. When you lose your vision later in life, you 
have, you lose your independence or some of your independence anyway until you learn and it's hard to ask. But if you have a question, if you don't know how to do something or maybe you want to learn something, you know, it's okay to ask someone who may have more experience than you, you know, uh, that's definitely a thing. You can do all of that. And so, you know, there is stuff out there to be able to get most things done that somebody would want to do. And uh, there is software that will help you that's accessible. It just may take, you know, a little bit more time to do some research. And if you need extra help, then definitely go to someone who may have more knowledge in that area you're looking for and uh, ask questions. And I mean, a lot of times there's even people who are teaching a certain thing. Maybe you want to learn it and get into a situation, maybe one-on-one or maybe in a group session where, you know, you're learning whatever topic or thing that you want to learn. And so just, you know, there are things out there. There are access to opportunities to be able to do most things, I would say. And have, I'm going to answer this before we hear from Michael, have patience with yourself. Allow yourself to get frustrated. Tell your, you know, allow yourself to feel through the frustration and, and have patience with yourself. If you need to get up, walk away, or even put it away for, for the day and come back to it tomorrow, whatever your learning process is, whatever your learning speed, whatever your learning style is, it's not going to match anybody else's on this planet. So even when you're in those group settings or those one-on-one sessions, you know, you'll get to know the, the folks that you're learning with. But at the same time, you're also getting to know yourself. Have patience with yourself. Michael. Yeah, so I would say ask the questions. Have patience with yourself, uh, what, what Marty and Anthony had mentioned. But realize that what you're trying to do has probably already been done by another individual who has a similar, uh, who has similar sight impairments that you may have as well. And if someone doesn't treat you with respect or, or respect the fact that you're actually asking to try to learn how to do something, there are other people out there you can yes. ask. So don't let that negative experience deter you from reaching out to get the answers that you need. So coming up um, in January on Sunday edition, I'm actually going to have um, a fully totally blind person who is creating and animating uh, and editing animation. I am really excited for that, uh, for that conversation. And that just goes, I couldn't, as a person who had vision, I couldn't possibly imagine how can you actually create cartoons? How can you create animation? So that's going to be a really great conversation. Um, tell us what's coming up for Unmute Presents and, and um, please share some contact information both for the call and for you guys, you know, business-wise as well. So I'll start with some contact information and a cool thing that we are announcing here uh, as well as on the unmute calls. So if you want to get information about joining the call, just head on over to acb.community. That's acb.community. That'll get you to the ACB community page where you can subscribe to the mailing list and learn more about all of the amazing ACB community calls that are available. You can uh, reach out to us via email. Marty will share that information with you in a moment. But on January 10th, we've been asked this multiple times. Uh, I have uh, reached out to them, and they have said they will come. 
So uh, Raz Mobility will come and talk about the Mini Vision 2 and a new phone they're nice. coming out with called the Smart Vision 2. And uh, they're sending me a couple of units to test out to play with. And uh, so definitely tune in on that day. And uh, Marty, how do people find our podcast and how do they email us? So uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at unmutepresents at gmail.com. And if you have questions, comments, suggestions, email us there. Uh, We also, as another announcement, is we are adding a Unmute Presents education series to the live calls. So what that means is we're going to continue to do the same thing that we always do, which is going to be now every other week. And then on the off weeks, we're going to have something educational. So for example, this Tuesday, our first education is going to start with photography and using your camera as someone who's blind and low vision. And we started with that one because we're going into the holidays right now, and we figure people are going to be around friends and family for the holidays. And wouldn't it be cool if maybe you can take some pictures, use your camera to be able to get some memories, you know, uh, going into the holidays and being around friends and family. And so we're going to have different topics going forward. So the photography one, I believe, is going to be three to four sessions. And then after that, there'll be ones moving forward. So if people have suggestions, something they want to learn, you know, please let us know. Uh, again, the email is unmutepresents at gmail.com. You can email us there. Also, if you want to listen to the podcast, if you weren't able to make it to a, a, a live call, the live call gets edited down and distributed pretty quickly after the live call ends. And you can uh, go to Unmute Presents in any podcatcher, any application that you use to get your podcasts. And you'll see in the description both of our names, Marty Sobo and Michael Babcock. And we're going to be adding extra content there as well uh, a couple times a week. So lots of things going on as we move forward. And we got some big things coming in the new year. So we're pretty excited. And these guys are going to come back to Sunday edition in the new year for a live show so that they can answer some of your questions. And maybe by then they'll know what the next topic after photography is. I want to thank, um, I want to thank you both for, for coming to Sunday edition and sharing some of your personal history with us so that we kind of get to know the voices behind the call and, and, um, you know, your story. We really, really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Anthony. I had a good time and uh, appreciate you having us on. All right. So as you guys listening know, this is a pre-recorded show. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, I am in sunny and warm Honduras for the holiday season. There will not be any more Sunday editions in the year 2022, but I will be back the first Sunday of January with an amazing show. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you want to contact me or you have questions and you didn't catch these guys' email, uh, you can always reach out to sundayeditionac at gmail.com. I hope everyone has a blessed and lovely holiday season. I'll see you all in the new year. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media. 
Stream One. That's American Council of the Blind Media, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays, and you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word, Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday.